the speed once again, and he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Hi everybody and warm, warm welcome to the Triple Jumpers podcast with me, Marcus Lombardi. Before we start uh, today's episode, I have some news to tell you about. First of all, we have finally launched our web shop, our website, where you can buy Triple Jumpers merchandise to support our work and to get some nice clothes and accessories. Just go to triplejumpers.com to see what we have to offer. And for those of you who listen to this podcast, we have a special discount code just for you. Use TJ Podcast in all caps and you'll get 15% off your whole order. Also, we have created an exclusive Facebook group called Triple Jumpers VIP for those of you who want to discuss the Triple Jump event, training, competition, technique, and to further discuss the topic in the podcast. Search for Triple Jumpers VIP on Facebook and apply to the group now. So, that was the news. Now we can present today's guest. And it's the 30-year-old American Triple Jumper, Chris Carter. Chris is a two-times US Indoor Champion. And he finished 6th at the World Indoors in 2014 and 5th in 2018. His uh, personal best is 17.18 meters outdoors. And 1720 indoors. In this episode, we cover his career from running the 400 meter hurdles to becoming the US champion. And we also talk about his preparations for the US championships uh, coming up next week on the 26th of July and discuss a lot about what's wrong with track and field and what we can do in order to make the sport more popular. Chris has so many good things to say, so I, I really believe this is a super interesting episode. But now, let's begin the seventh episode of the Triple Jumpers podcast with Chris Carter. Warm welcome to the Triple Jumpers podcast, Chris Carter. What's going on? How are you doing today? I'm good, you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, okay, so the season is underway and the U.S. Uh, championships is coming up next week. Um, how has the first part of the season felt for you and how does your body feel ahead of the Nationals? So, we're talking about um, seasonal remarks. Uh, not very good at all. It's probably one of my worst seasons leading up to the championships. But... I don't feel bad about it because my body is in good shape. And I mean, I'm probably as strong as I've been and as fast as I've ever been. So it's just mostly the technical aspects that haven't been so good this year. But yeah, that's where I am right now. Okay, so you just have to get all the parts together done. Yep. Yeah. Get everything moving. Yeah, okay. Looking forward to, to the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Chris, uh, tell us a bit about your background, who you are, and what got you into track and field. 
Turner. So I'm from a small town in Texas called Hearn, Texas. We have about 5,000 people in the whole city. And uh, I got into track at a young age, like at nine. Just because I was real athletic. I always played basketball, but my cousin, he, he ran in summer track. And so he told me about it. I was like, summer track? What's that? And he said, yeah, you just go out there and run races and stuff. And I was like, it sounds fun to me. And so I started running. Started off running the 100 and the 4x1 and 4x4. And then I, I just always liked it because it, it was always something to do. And you were, as an individual sport, you can just try different things. So I would try everything on the track. I read, I've done every event besides throw and throw vault and anything over 800. And so I just got into it. It was fun. Then I got about 13. I tried hurdles because I always like jumping. And I think I started long jumping at 11. Like my first long jump, I jumped 15, 11, so I think that's like almost five meters at 11, and I was, yeah, it was pretty good, I, I heard, you know. And so I, I fell in love with the long jump and started running hurdles at 13. I just like jumping. And got about high school, I was, uh, I started, I was doing long jump, high jump, hurdles, and relays. And my coach, my high school coach, was like, hey, let's try trooper jump. I don't know about trooper jump. I mean, I didn't like how it looked. I guess I never saw it done right, you know? And so I did it. My first meet, I was in ninth grade, so I was 14 years old. I jumped 43 feet. And I think that's, what is that, meters like 13, 2. And I guess I was good at it, you know. And I just kept running hurdles. I always wanted to go to college to play football because that was one of my first things, too. Football and track were the first things I really liked besides basketball, which I played just, you know, recreation. I never really played organized basketball. But I, um, Wanted to go to college to play football and run track, and I wanted to run, run hurdles and relays and jump. And then by, by the time I was a senior, I was pretty good in track. I was jumping up my, in August of my senior year, I jumped at 1589, so 52 feet. And I long jumped 718, I think 237. And I ran like 53 times in the four hurdles. And so I was looking pretty good going into college, thinking I was going to be a hurdle and jumper. But I got to the University of Houston. They wanted me just to do both long and triple jump. I begged them every year, man, just can I run the hurdles? Can I run the four hurdles? But it wasn't in their plans. And, you know, I got to college and you kind of see my results there. And that's about how I came up with track. And, you know, I was a good student in high school. I made, I was like the fourth, fourth ranked student in my class. 
we only had 60-something, so it was still top 10%, but I made pretty good grades. I had a 3.0 in college. And, you know, I, I made friends, had fun, you know, typical kids type stuff. Yeah, that's pretty much my background. Okay, and um, at the university, you went to the University of uh, Houston, where both uh, Carl Lewis and former world record holder on a 100-meter Leroy Burrell went. Um, and you had a, had a good couple of years in college and won the conference USA several times and partic participated in the NCAAs a few times. Um, uh, now looking back at college, uh, what do you have to say about your years uh, in Houston? Um, I didn't. I don't think I lived up to. I didn't. I didn't reach my potential in college. I didn't do very well. A lot of it had to do with coming from a small town that I was from, and I played. I played football. I ran track, did tennis, powerlifting cross countries. I did all the sports, so I mean, you don't really focus on just one thing. And so most of my triple jumping had just come from just, I don't know, just naturally just doing it. I saw somebody do it and I just did it. I never watched video. Never had anybody coach me on the triple jump really. Kind of know about drills, bounding, really. I, I talked to a guy at the state meet my junior year he told me about that. He told me he did better than the grass. He said I would go like 30 yards in parallel, just you know, hop left to right. So I started doing that, but I didn't know anything about the arms or none of the technical aspects of track. It was just my summer track coaches. They did a good job of getting me in shape and you know, keeping me focused on doing the right things, like you know, going to sleep at night and eating right. A lot of the technical aspects I've had no idea about. I never, I, I still to this day haven't seen myself tripping during high school. I wish I could get a video of it. But regardless, I didn't know any of the technical aspects. And when I got to college, it was, I was, I, I could almost say I was kind of overloaded with a lot of the technical aspects and trying to do all those things. And it stiffened me up a lot. And I lost a lot of confidence to it. Just uh, hearing different words that I had never heard before, trying to execute that at full speed without any drills or anything like that. And I just didn't. I didn't adapt well. I was more of just a go out there and do it kind of guy. And I, I didn't adapt well my freshman year until maybe uh, 15 or 4 or 3 or something like that. And I just, I just, over 51, which is 15-5 like a few times in high school, so I underachieved and my long jump was lower than my PR too, so it wasn't very good. And then my sophomore year, I did a little bit better. I
on what kind of work needed to be done. Because as a junior, I went right back down. I jumped 15 eight at, at, at best. I'm 15-9 at best. I won the conference, but the conference wasn't very competitive. You know, going into college, I expected to be, you know, on the national level because in high school I was, but I just never really achieved those things. And not running as much as I did in high school, I think that kind of messed me up too. I really just underachieved, but my senior year, I worked with Coach Burrell, and I started learning about, you know, how to do drills, how to do, how to execute certain things. And I jumped sixteen seventy indoors and seven five indoors, and then I, outdoors I jumped sixteen eighty six and seven sixty eight. So I mean, the very last meets of my college career were good, but those are just highlights because the process I didn't really develop like I think I should have. So the college wasn't really wasn't really what I thought I was gonna do. I didn't do as good. Okay. But I learned a lot. Yeah, and uh, you still left college uh, doing pretty decent results and uh Uh, when you left college in 2011, you finished fourth at the U.S. Championships and made your first appearance uh, in a national team when you finished uh, on sixth place at the Pan American Games. Uh, describe the feeling of representing your country for the first time. Oh man, it was. I couldn't believe I made the team. I was making the team. It was crazy. It was just like man, I finally got the team. I mean, I got the gear. You know, it's one of the the biggest things when you get that gear, that USA kit, it's just like man, you feel like you made it. So I mean it gave me like a, a big confidence boost to keep keep jumping after college. But I really didn't have any plans on jumping after college. Just based on how I was doing. But I mean making that team really helped me out a lot. If it wasn't for that I wouldn't be here jumping right now. Yeah, as you said, uh, a lot of people uh, quit uh, after college and But that was when your like professional career took off, and I always ask my guests uh, how they handle that because that's when it gets really tough for for a lot of people with uh, finances and and stuff like that. So, how was it for you to start your professional career? Well, to start, so um, my senior year in college, I was supposed to register and come back, but. I did so well at the indoor championships that coach was like, hey, let's just keep going, keep the momentum going. So what happened was I, I was supposed to register, so I kind of held up on my classes. And so going into the fall, which was after I was done, after my eligibility was done, I was still enrolled in school. So they kind of, I got a little boost because of still being, you know, a student athlete that gave me They gave me a stipend to pay for my rent, you know, so that helped me out a lot. And then after I graduated, because I just had an internship, which was, I interned with the team and I, I helped coach and helped the uh, you know, coaches with the recruiting and stuff. And so I, I kind of had a easy schedule the first semester out. But then after I graduated, I had to get a job. I started working at 24 Hour Fitness and I was, That was easy because it was, it was a part time. So I would go to train. I would train in the morning at 11, 10 or 11, 
And then after I got done, I would go and turn a few clients. And I stayed with uh, two other roommates, so my rent was like three hundred fifty dollars. And I had a car that I bought at first that was already paid off, so my bills weren't that high. And so it wasn't that it wasn't as bad because I was making a little bit of money, but going to you know going to get closer to the Olympic trials, clients started. Uh, started not coming that much, so I had to go out and look for people to train. And then money was just, it was always like an issue. And so I started training people when I was cutting hair, which is why my name is Carter Cuts on, it, on my Instagram. And I started cutting hair a lot more, and that helped me out a lot, too. Because I always cut hair through college. And then just cutting hair, it helped me have a lot, lot, lot more funds to support my journey. And so, you know, after 2012, I didn't do well. And I was like, I think I'm just going to stop this track thing because it was just like college. And I was like, I think I'm going to get a job. And I had a friend who was a, t- a former teammate. He told me about this uh, private school. So I started working at the private school. It was an easy job, just like two or three hours a day. And then I would coach track during track season. And I was still training people and still cutting hair. So, you know, I was busy. Like, just most of the time I spent was trying to make, make enough money just to support this because I had no idea about contracts. It wasn't likely that I was about to get one, but I knew that I had potential. And so once I got my money straight with the cutting hair and all those other things, I started uh, training on my own because I just didn't want to. If I wanted to do it, I wanted to do it how I wanted to. So I started training myself, and then uh, I ran into Walter Davis, you know, one of the greatest triple jumpers. Yeah, yeah. I ran into him at the indoor championships, and he looked at me, you know, he he could tell, like, I didn't really know what I was doing. He was like, hey, man, you, you want to get some sessions in? I can, I can help you out. I was like, you can help me out. I would love that, man. Like, yeah, I'm coming out. Whenever you, whenever you can come, I'm coming. And so I was still doing all that working, but I would get, you know, just a session in with him like once a week or maybe twice a week in 2013, starting in like April. And then I started working with a sprint coach too, who coached some regular sprinters. Like I think I started in March. And so indoors I jumped 16, 15, and then. While working and doing all of this, and then I started working with the spring coach at Walt, and I joined sixteen sixty eight at a meet at LSU, and then uh, my friend Tyrone Smith, a uh, long jumper from Bermuda, PR like eight thirty five, he uh, talked to an agent about just getting me into a meet, and so I got into the Beijing World Challenge. And I went to 1660 something and got second. And, you know, my confidence started getting up. Like, hey, I can, I can do this. I can compete on the world stage. I got second at that meet. And then um, I ended up jumping 1692 at the championships in 2013. You know, I was everything was pretty good. And then after 2013 and your first international meet in Beijing, um, in at the indoor season of 2014, 
after a couple of fourth places at the US Champs, you stood on top of the podium for the first time uh, with, with your first 70 meter jump ever, 17.50 meters. Uh, and you also secured your place at the World Indoor Championships in Poland, uh, where you finished sixth. Um, after an indoor season like that, you you can't be disappointed. No, no, that was. I knew I was on my way there. I just knew I was going seventeen sixty, seventeen seventy, come like soon. Cause I that's that like that fall after two thousand thirteen. <laughs> Cramped up in 2013. I had cramps in the outdoor championships, so I didn't really get to finish the meet like I wanted to. But I knew I had a lot in. And so that fall, I worked out, and uh, me and Walk we started. Well, let me go back a little bit. So after you know jumping at it, I, I'm like, this is my plan. I'll keep working with my sprint coach and keep going to see and walking like maybe once a week, but. The job I had at the school, they didn't have that job anymore, and I was just getting tired of like, like struggling so hard to make money that I just, I just kind of like, like, man, I just don't have to, I just have to teach at high school because they had this consistent money, and all the summers I was teaching to what I need. And so when I started teaching at the school, I, I didn't really want to start because I knew that it would kind of take away from my professional sports and it's supposed to be professional sports through and it would take away so I, I ended up not being able to work with my sprint coach anymore but I was still able to meet Walter like in the evenings and train like once a week in November so everything was going good and we were worked and I got to win the championship you know we, we were good like then after the world championships um, he also has a life. He has to. I can't pay him because I don't make him money. So he had to. It, his job required him to travel a lot, and so with him traveling, I was still kind of new to actually triple jumping, right? And you know, being at the elite level, I wasn't able to see him because his job required him to like travel for a month at a time. And I kind of got off, got inconsistent, and then I hurt my back in the way. So, yeah, that that outdoor season was it was a little disappointing. That's why I didn't go to the outdoor championships. That you know, I heard. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you still were invited to a lot of international meets during that uh, outdoor season. And um, what is it like on the circuit? Uh, are you friend with your competitors, or is it a lot of trash talking, or how is the climate? Well, um, when I first got on the circuit, it was, because I think Will, he was, I don't know if he was hurt or anything. I can't really remember, but I didn't see him much. And uh, I would see Christian, and I would, those were like the only people I knew at that time at uh, no more crack. I would see him every once in a while. Those were the people I knew. So with the Europeans and uh, people from the Asian countries, I mean, I didn't really talk to them as much because I don't speak the same language. I like the trash talk, you know. We would see each other. And it was, when I first got on the circuit, it just wasn't as fun. And it was kind of like I was by myself. And um, 
it was I didn't it wasn't it was a little different. So like if you would go to uh, maybe a European permit meeting, it'd be maybe two or three jumpers that you know would jump high sixteen, seventeen, and then there would be a few uh few of the locals. And so it would be I don't know, I, how, how would I explain? It would be, it just wasn't as fun because I didn't get to see like some of the people that I watched on YouTube and, you know, compete against some of the best. But at the, after like 2015, it started to change a little bit. It wasn't as many meets, but it was a lot more competitive and you know, I would start getting to know some of the people I competed against. You know, I know I met Carol Hoffman from Poland, and I would jump against like Ben Dong and all of those people. And so it's like, okay, now these are my competitors. Now I need to go, you know, handle business. And it would, I mean, you could you you would start watching me while you're jumping, and you could tell, okay, he's looking a little off, or he's looking a little on. Let's bring it, or maybe. The meat wouldn't be as competitive, and it just wouldn't be as fun when it just wasn't as competitive. But after the meet, I mean, it wasn't as much trash talking, you know, prior to 2016. But you know, after the meet, you see people; it was just friendly. It was, I mean, it just didn't seem as competitive. But I don't know. Some 2016, I got my confidence up, and I would be trash talking a lot of my opponents. Like it didn't matter who it was; I, my confidence was there. I would talk noise and you know just the noise talking it wasn't to the mean people it was really just to make make them come to their best uh, level and if I can get you to rise to, to your best then you can help me rise even higher than I am and so I mean in the end after you know after the meets and after years of competing against each other you, you know you start making friends all the jumpers would be your friends you know so that's how I felt about the surgery. Other people have, you know, different experiences, but mine was just, I don't know, it wasn't. It was just competitive. It was fun. Just, just not, not, you know, it's not a serious rivalry like uh, you would see in some of the sprinters where maybe they really don't like each other. Mars would be just, hey, man, we, we're out here jumping. I can beat you. I'm going to beat you today. What are you going to do about it? Your your current personal best is seventeen point eighteen meters, uh, which is set at the U.S. Olympic Trials in two thousand sixteen. Um, with that result, you finished uh, sixth on on the trials, but you had uh, jumped. But if you if you had jumped seventeen point eighteen meters in the Olympic Games in Rio, you would have placed fourth in the final. Uh, so one could say that the triple jump is a very it's a crazy competitive event in the U.S. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it is very competitive in the U.S. It's getting more and more competitive every year. And the reason I think it's getting competitive is because there's so many of us. So we always have to up our game if we want to make the team. Because if you make the team here, you feel like you can make it, make the medal stand when you go to the international meets. But, like, sometimes, I mean... If it was a way that you could bring the top 25 jumpers in the world or top 24 jumpers in the world, no matter the country, to the meet, I feel like it would be a, 
a lot more competitive. You, you may see a lot more jumps over seventeen fifty, you know. But just that that pressure of the trials, having a peak twice in a year, like this year, for example, I'm setting up the peak. Like this is the end of the year. I'm not even thinking about the world championships yet because I have to qualify first. I mean, I'm planning on making the world championships, but I have to be in peak position to make it because the U.S. trials, anybody can jump at any day. It's at least, I think, six or seven of us that can go. No, no it's, I think it's eight people that have gone 17 in the United States that are jumping uh, next week. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, you yeah, have 17. Yeah. What were you saying? Yeah, you have we have like Will Clay, Christian Taylor, Omar Craddock, you, Chris Carter, uh, Donald Scott, Keandre Bates, um, Chris Bernard. We have like it's a lot of guys. Yeah. Who can make yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of people that can jump over seventeen. So it's the competition is there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what makes it. It's it's gonna be fun. It's gonna really gonna be fun. Yeah, and it's a lot. You, of, you have to bring it out. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of young guys coming up also. I mean, uh, the guy Armani Wallace, uh, he he has jumped 16.99, and he's only 22. So, and there is if I so I, I'm at the I'm looking at the world uh, the top list in the world right now, and there is at the top five in the world currently it's, it's uh, four four of those are Americans. So. It's very competitive. Yeah, it is. It's very competitive. Way more competitive than when I first started in 2011. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause I remember the 2012 Olympics, it was only uh, two people that qualified for the Olympic Games. That even had the standard. Yeah. But it's, you know, think about it now, everybody has the standards. Yeah. So it's not even about the standard anymore. It's just about finishing in the top three. On that day. Isn't it frustrating to to you know to know that you have the standard, but uh, you have to be on the top three at the U.S. Championships to to make the team? Isn't it frustrating to to know that you can uh, you know fight against the medals at the at the championships, but not even making the team? Well, I try to look at it. I try to look at it from a positive way. Because uh, just growing up watching track, you would always, growing up in the U.S. watching track, you knew that it, you had to be in the top three to, to go to the Olympics. But not until, you know, maybe I was like 22 or 23 that I found out that if you were from another country, all you needed was standard. And, like, you know, at first, those first few years, like, man, if I just get the standard, I would go if I stayed in this country or, I was, or if I stayed over here. And I would always look at it like, ah, oh, it's not fair, blah, blah. But what makes the Americans, well, I wouldn't say better, but what makes us so competitive is just having that. I mean, you know every day that what you do won't matter, won't be seen if you don't get in the top three. So you have to grind that much harder than everybody else. And that makes you competitive. So it can be frustrating. I mean, after the Olympics, I looked at the results. But that year, I had been jumping 17 so much, you know. And I was ready to go at least 17.40 or something like that. And I just didn't execute on that day. And I saw that. 
a lot of tournaments jump 15, 14, or 15. Like, they got four for the Olympics. It's just like, people in the U.S. don't value track and field unless you've been to the Olympics. And for me to have been that good, to be a fourth-place finisher in the finals at the Olympics and not get to go, I can't. My story is invalid to many people. They, it's, they're like, oh, you didn't go to the Olympics? I'm like, well, must not be that good. No, I could have got fourth, but I live in the U.S. I have to get a, I don't have to get the standard. I have to get top three, you know. So when you look at it, it's different ways to look at it, but it is what it is. Can't change it. Um, have you ever thought about competing for another country? I know Troy Doris uh, has uh, changed country, for example. And have you ever have you ever considered uh, competing for another country to make the team? Oh well, when I first started, yeah, I really did because um, some of my teammates in college they uh, switched over, and then I thought about doing it, but I don't have any family members in any other countries. All my family members are from here in Texas, mostly. So, just wasn't a possibility. I had both uh, Jeremy Fisher and Chris Bernard on the podcast before, and they both uh, suggested you as a guest due to your thoughts on how to change uh, the triple jump event for the better. Uh, can you tell us about about uh, how you want to change the sport uh, in order to make it more popular? Well, yeah, that's my biggest thing. I've been, since 2012, because I, I majored in sport administration, and, you know, we study sports and history of sports, and you look at a lot of sports, and a lot of the, what, what makes a sport popular is the fans, right? Yeah. If, you know, and it's fan loyalty. If you look at the Dallas Cowboys, American football team, they haven't been to the Super Bowl in over, what, 20-something years, 25 years? They haven't been to the Super Bowl, but they still have diehard fans. But if you go back and look at the Super Bowl, I bet you a lot of the fans can't even name five players from that team. I And I was a Dallas Cowboy fan. I can name, I know it was Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, I think Deion Sanders, and uh, Michael Irvin. That's four that I can name from a, a from a team that won a Super Bowl in a country where that's the most popular sport. Where I'm supposed to be a diamond fan, I can only name four of the members. My point is, people don't they don't they don't remember the individuals. They remember what's important to them and what they can represent. I can't represent Michael Irvin. I can't represent Troy Eggman. But if I'm from Dallas, I can represent Dallas. Or if, I have, or if I'm from Texas, I can say, oh, that's my team because I'm from Texas. You know? And I think a lot of the track and field's problem is relying on one person too much. When you say Bolt left track, everybody was, I would read articles, oh, what's track going to do now? You saying Bolt's gone? And I'm like, that's that's ridiculous. Why are we depending on one man to carry a sport? A, full, a whole sport that's very competitive, very fun to watch, that has the most high school participation in the nation. But I just, I just read a, a article that 
show that high school students compete in track and field the most out of all sports. How is a sport that big going to depend on one person to make it successful? And so, like, my idea is in college, they're teams. In high school, they're teams. In a professional world, there needs to be teams. You cannot, for a sport like track, you cannot just rely on one person. You can't, because at, at, right now, we're searching for stars. You cannot search for stars. Stars are going to last for so long, and then they're gone. People need something that they can follow, that they can fall in love with, that their kids can fall in love with. People born in the, in the 70s or 80s may, may love Michael Jordan. But people born in the, in, the ni- in the 2000s, 90s, they love LeBron James. But that's just one person. People are not going to, over the generations, you can't hold on to Michael Jordan. He, he's gone. You need a team to hold on to. So my thing is, we need to get teams. We need to start having uh, teams competing for points, war records, or war records. That's not the goal of track and field. Yes, the goal is to to run as fast as you possibly can. But if every time I watch a track meet, and the goal is to break a world record, and I watch a, a track meet, they don't break the world record. Guess what? I'm disappointed. I'm like, ah oh, man, they suck. They're not fast because they didn't break a world record. Or nobody jumped 18 meters today. Oh, it wasn't a good meet. No, it was a good meet. Maybe the conditions weren't that great. But when you have teams, oh, man, he pulled it out for his team. People have something to go for, you know? It's just you have to get fan engagement. That's one thing is to, to change the structure of the sport. And then another thing, we I mean, it's a whole process. I could talk to you about it all day. But um, another thing is like with the auto layoff, like with appearance fees, like the appearance fees, nobody knows how much they are. And so it's just a lot of certain people get money and now the meats don't have the money to pay for somebody, for everybody to come. Some people get $700 to fly from America when the ticket is $2,000 because you're paying somebody else $50,000 just to show up that might get hurt. I mean, what is that doing for the fans? You know what I mean? It's doing nothing for the fans. You want to get the best people in there at all times. And, you know, to start it off, we got to have a league, a set league with, you know, maybe minimum marks and have these people compete against each other at all times. Like, we could start it off with an A, B, and C league. You take the top 10 in the field events and you take the top eight in the uh, running events and you put them in leagues. And you, and, well, not nah, I would say 16 and 20. And you alternate them between meets. So if you're in a, you're in an 80 league, it's 16 people, right? Yeah. One week you may race against this group of eight. Next week you may race against the next group of eight. Same in the field events. And then you would cut, because I hear so much about field events take up a lot of time. You, we could cut down some of the attempts, but not cut down some of the people. We could go maybe two attempts and one final, one, uh, reordering one final, or three attempts, reordering one final. That'll save a lot of time. Don't cut people out. Don't cut events out. That doesn't make sense. Because uh, in football, you don't cut out the court, uh, the, the linemen, because oh, there's too many people on the field. It doesn't look fun. And, uh, that's, that's changing the sport. We don't want to change the sport. Just change the structure, you understand? 
Yeah. And so, yeah, so like, you and in the B League, you would have the same. You would have 16, they erase certain eight, and then, you know, and the same thing with the C League. And at the end of the year, you have a championship that's the set date every day. You know, I mean, not every day, every year. Yeah. We know it's the end of the third week in August is going to be the championship, the, the B championships. The second week is going to be the C championships, and the last week in August is going to be the A championships. Now people know, oh, man, they're having a track championships these next three weeks. I got to watch. You know, it's not like, oh, when is Worlds? You know, it's not a question. People can follow. It's easy to follow. You know, at this time of the year, you're going to be watching the championships. Which championships are you going to watch? You know what I mean? And then the Olympics and World Championships will be after that every time. So it would just be a scheduling thing, but make sure that the championships are always at the same time, same weekend, you know. And then we eventually, from those leagues, then we start forming teams for different cities. And when you form the teams, now guess what? People can buy merchandise. I can buy uh, a Houston, a Houston, uh, a Speed City T-shirt, or Air Houston jump shirt, whatever you want to call the team. And I could buy Air Houston uh, backpacks, Air Houston headbands, just like my favorite jumper wears. You know, everything has a brand. And now Nike and Adidas and all of them, they can sell more gear. And now we're making more money. You know, that's what makes sense to me. But. It just has to be heard, and people have to buy into change and believe in change and understand that what we're doing right now is limited because it's not it's not stable. It's clearly not stable, and people have to be willing to change. But yeah, I talk about it all the time on social media. That's why uh, Coach Coach Fish and uh, Chris they probably suggested me. So you know, if y'all could hear what I have to say because I'm passionate about it. I love track and field and I want to be able to see my kids or just see people do it because it's such a pure sport but when you start putting appearance fees and you give somebody a hundred thousand dollars and you don't give the next person anything well I'm pretty sure that's gonna make motivate that person to take drugs or do something like that just so they can be on the same level but when you have a league and you have everything out in the open and you have uh, salaries, then people are less inclined to do that type of stuff because they're comfortable uh, making money. And they're they, they doing it for the love of it, not because they need to survive, because somebody's eating a feast and another person is on the ground begging for, for crumbs, you know? And pretty soon, you keep doing that, we're going to have one king and everybody's begging for crumbs. And that's 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 third world country not to bash anybody but that's that's the way it is it's, it's usually corrupt and stuff like that and if we keep operating like a corrupt country when we're gonna have a, a poor sport that's gonna lose itself and lose the engagement it's not gonna make any money it's gonna be over and it's like the greatest one of the greatest sports ever created you know in my opinion yeah we have the you know, they have started last year. They started the Athletics World Cup, and uh, we have the European uh, in in Europe. We have the European Team Championships every second year, and 
and so forth but it's not uh, you know it's not so popular it's it's more of a um, you know at this stage it's more of a like you know what you would say in America I think the Pan American Games is not as popular as as you know the world championships and, and those stuff so I think it's on that level so yeah, yeah. I, I think it's good for us no, and, and we have to to raise uh, yeah we have to to raise the popularity of, of those championships as well and and as you say uh, probably make make those leagues and, and and teams to share on and you know to to make the sport better yeah we do we have to give people something to identify with I mean, yes, everybody can identify with the country, but to be honest, people believe, people in the U.S., I can always speak on them, they believe the U.S. is best in track. So we lose, we did bad. It's not, oh, China was a better relay team or something, just, just a random example. Or maybe that's that distance runner from uh, from Great Britain was just better. No, it's, we lost because that's the perception in the U.S. And, it, and it's boring when you know that you know which team is supposed to win. Mm. And when they only do that thing they do is just keep medal count. And the medal count doesn't really tell you, oh, you won the Olympics. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, we did good in the relays. We did good in the sprints. But it's not like, hey, we won. You know? And making a league and with different teams, multiple teams, people can feel like they won. Because you want people, you're not doing this for yourself. You're doing it for all the people who are watching. you motivating people. And if they can't identify with it, then why are you doing it? You know what I mean? And yeah. When we, can, when we can figure out how to do that, then we're going to be able to make the money that everybody wants to make. And we're going to have the TV ratings and all of that stuff. And we're going to market better because every, every people are interested. But we keep going the same way we're going. It's not going to work. And it's, I mean, it's clear that it's getting worse every year. Yeah, yeah. But I believe, like, I believe, like, I mean, things have to get worse to get better. And I talked to a few of the other jumpers, and we all in agreement that we need to change some things. And things may change. You know, they may not, but we'll see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if we make those uh, leagues and teams, you know, we could uh, do, like, in... In football, you can transfer and and uh, from a team to another and and pay more money to and yeah, it it will be yeah, great. I, mean, I think it will be great. Right, you got a point. And then pe- people people have something to gossip about. Hey man, did you hear that uh that Carter may be going to this team or did you hear what happened with this trade? And you know, it yeah, gives exactly. people something else to talk about. Yeah, exactly. It, it would be it would be a lot more interesting. I think. And and we have to do something, you know. If if we look at, uh, for example, just a couple of weeks ago at the Rome Diamond League, uh, was the situation there with Will Clay and uh, Christian Taylor not getting into to the Diamond League due to some finance situations and with Christian and another situation with with uh, Will Clay having to show fitness. So I think we have to do something because it's it's getting worse and. Uh, the Diamond League is cutting from 14 to 12, I think, or something like that also. So we have to do yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, we have to. I mean, I heard they got rid of the 5K and 
they already got don't have the hammer in the diamond league. And I know the triple jump is next on the chopping board. I mean, you can see it. It's just like, wow, you want you don't want to invite some of the best jumpers of this era to <laughs> jump in your meet. Like, you don't want to pay for that. I mean, that's just yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and also, you know, the TV time it it becomes smaller and smaller. So you know, it, it was once upon a time it was like four hours of, of Diamond League you know, on the TV window, but now it's you have to squeeze it all into one and a half hour or something like that. Yeah, and that's that's total total crap. And I'm going to say it like this because soccer is probably three hours. Well, uh, uh, football, American football is three hours, three and a half hours. College football is about four hours. Basketball is three hours. So... What the people in track are saying is that our sport, we're saying that our sport is not that fun, so we got to cut it out. And I don't agree with that. I'm not going to say my sport is not that good. We got to make it interesting. No, we got to do better. But we got to find better ways to make it interesting, but we're not cutting, cutting up, tearing up our sport because we can't mark, find a smarter ways to market to make people watch it. We got to change something, not cut stuff. I mean, that's you keep cutting, you won't have anything, you know? Yeah. Just silly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what do you think about, you know, getting more, like, <clears throat> street meets? You know, uh, uh, at the Monaco Diamond League, they, the women's triple jump were on, on the harbor there uh, in Monaco. So what do you think about that? It, is it a, a good idea? I mean, I, I like it. Cause, I mean, it, because it's fun, but... That's not. I don't believe that's gonna help the sport. But all it's gonna do is, you know, separate everything, and it's gonna change how track and field is, and it's not gonna allow for my idea the team concept to work. When you start separating everybody, some people get street meets, some people don't. What about the javelin throwers? How are they gonna? They can't compete in the street. Where are they gonna compete? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, we. You don't. What happens is triple jumpers start only looking out for triple jumpers. And, Sprinters only look out for sprinters. I mean, we all need to look out for each other. Yeah. We don't need to let it be torn apart because terrible marketing. Right now, you talked a bit uh, before about you, you training a, a little bit with Walter Davis. Uh, who are you training with right now? Are you training alone or do you have any coach? Well, um, this year I've been training alone. Um, I, I have... I had uh, people come out and watch uh, technique days on occasion. Lately, uh, like, I think, what, two or three weeks ago, I went out to the training center in San Diego, Chula Vista, to train with Will, Christian, I'm not Christian, uh, Will, Chris, Chris Bernard, sorry, Will, Chris Bernard, and uh, Omar, and Coach Fisher, and that helped a lot. And so I, I trained out there for a little while. I actually did training and technique out there. But lately, yeah, I've just been have I've just been training on my own, just writing my own program because I coach at a high school, and I study track and field, and you know, I I feel like I can make a decent program. Okay, and yeah. uh, right now you're you're preparing uh, obviously for for the U.S. Uh, championships next week. Um, mm -hmm. How does a week a training week look like leading up to to a big championship for you? Well. Uh, 
what I, what I like to do uh, leading up to the championships is just be fast, explosive, powerful. So, like, beginning of the week, I I would do approaches, but I would I, I would do a few of them full out, and then I would do some short sprints, ninety five to one hundred percent, and then do uh, some weights, certain type of weights that are gonna reinforce those movements I just did on the track and then come back the next day and do a jumping session so do a few few short approach jumps I did one I posted on Instagram yesterday yeah it was was a 12 step so I like to go from 12 steps when it's closest to the end of the season because the speed of 12 steps is kind of mimicking the meat and the pounding that you're going to feel with that much momentum it's gonna mimic the meat, so it's like a high intensity weight weight session. So I would go twelve steps and jump, and then um, afterwards, I do I do box jumps. Uh, so basically, single leg dev jumps, spaced out. I love them. If you if you I don't I haven't posted it because I I don't set my uh, tripod out to record it, but. Um, I do those, so those are like another weight session kind of, but I don't do weights after. I kind of, I'm a little different. I kind of like phase my weights out towards the end so I can be a little bit lighter, but I stay kind of heavy on the plyometrics so that I can still have the speed with it. You understand? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so my weights hadn't really been as much lately. I go in, I may do some hang cleans. I don't know how much 225 is, 225 pounds is in kilos. I can, I'll do a few of those. I can check it out. Three. It's uh, 102 kilos or something like that. Yeah, I would do that a few times fast. And then I would be done with that. And maybe some squat jumps, weighted squat jumps with 135 pounds, so maybe 50 kilos. No, not 50, yeah. like 70 kilos. Yeah, something yeah. like, yeah. 65, yeah, 70 something. kilos or something like that. Just mm-hmm. so I can stay explosive and not put on the weight. Yeah. It, it, um, you know, I, I'll take more risk because uh, at this point of the season, you're not going to really get better. You can get sharper, but you won't get actually stronger. You yeah. just want to maintain what you have and keep it keep it very sharp. Take a risk day. Like yesterday, I did, you know, some mobility, some things to improve my range. Not really improve it, but make sure my range of motion is good. And then I did some yoga, also range of motion. And being a triple jump, you don't have the luxuries that most most have. And so not able to get treatment, it costs a nice amount of money. So I'm able to get treatment on the normal. So I would do yoga for that. And then today was like a full rest day, and then tomorrow I'll go kind of meat style and do some sort of uh, some full approach uh, runs, short approach jumps, uh, very light on the plyos and sprints though afterwards, and then rest, and then kind of repeat that same week next week, but cut it down in half so that I'm fresh and ready to go. What what yeah, the, what day are the triple jump at the U.S. champs? It's it's Friday. Okay. okay. 
Is it the uh, is it uh, is the qualification on Friday or or is it a qualification at, at the US? No, it's not. In the US, we just have just unless it's Olympic trials, it's just straight finals. So okay, okay, three and three. Cool. And during the competition day, do you have any special routines that you do to to prepare for for the competition? Yeah, <laughs> I kind of. I mean, I wake up, eat breakfast. And then I'll do a shakeout. And on the shakeout, I just kind of get my mind right. I go through my jump. I picture myself where I want to jump. I may even do, like, some small jump drills, you know, just so my body is woke and understands what I'm going to ask of it later. And then after I do the shakeout, I'll, you know, kind of – move around a little bit. I don't want to sit down too long. I'll lay on the floor, you know, get my back straight, make sure I don't feel like I'm still in the bed. And then maybe walk to a store or something, get a Red Bull, um, come back to the hotel, just take my time, listen to some music, look at a little bit of video, and then uh, take a shower. Well, I'll lay my clothes out. I have to lay my clothes out that I'm going to compete in yeah then take a shower then head to the track yeah and uh during uh you know when you when you're standing on the runway doing a, a jump in the final of of the u.s championships what is going through your head at that time man what's going through my head so on my first jump i'm just gonna be straight honest like i don't want to move I get so, the adrenaline is just going so much, I don't even want to move. Like, I want to jump, but I don't want to move. <laughs> My body doesn't want to move. And so, all I can do is just think about what I'm going to do, like, step by step, literally. Like, I may even count out loud, because I count my steps as I run down the runway, and each step means something to me because I, I practice it, I go over it in my head. And so all I do is just count my steps all the way through and just visual, see where I'm looking. I look at the track and then I look towards the board and then I look beyond the board as I'm counting. I don't think about that, I just count. And I'm just going, and that's about all that's in my head. And I, um, I may look at the performance board to see where everybody is. But I tend not to watch anybody jump because everybody jumps differently. I kind of like tend to jump like people if I watch them, just from you know from high practice. And I don't want to see see a bad jump and then go you know mimic it almost. Yeah. So I to stay in control, I just stay in my zone, stay in my lane. And then at championships, that's when the trash talking comes out too. So me and Omar, I mean, we always talk trash to each other. I mean, we good friends and stuff but i mean come championships i mean it feels like like we're about to fight each other almost like cause, i mean we both want it bad and so i'm talking trash to him now i'll see somebody else and i'll talk trash because i'm serious i'm ready to go like i'm ready to like just unleash you know that's what i love about the championships you can just you can just go and just be in the moment that's the moment you've been like thinking of for months because my season hadn't been good, but I mean that doesn't even matter. 
all that matters is these championships. And it's all I've been thinking about, you know. And I'm sure everybody else is too. So it's just like I'm just out there hungry. So I will talk trash and I mean it. And I want you to feel it. And I want, I want it to like bother you, you know, because I want to feel like I'm in control of everything, you know. Yeah. It's all funny games, but it's just I love the intensity of it. Okay. And that's what that's what people that's what people watch sports for. Okay, so we also have a few questions from our Instagram followers. Uh, Mariko Morimoto wants to know what the most important thing is in the triple jump, according to you. Oh, the approach. You can't run, you can't jump. Yeah. And so that's something I've been working to perfect because, uh, or not even perfect, just to be consistent with. Yeah. Because if you can't run down the runway, you can't jump very far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then Frederick Bjorkquist uh, wonders how many jumps you do on a average average uh, session. Average session, um, maybe like it depends. So like twelve steps, no more than six. And then if I go um, maybe like eight steps, I may do like six to eight. Anything other than that is just how I feel. Yeah. Do you do more than you do like multiple uh, bounds, like five step bounds or those uh, oh, yeah. drills? Us? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah I warm up with, uh, I warm up with, you know, single leg left, single leg right, left, left, right, 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 left. Yeah. And I'll do those from like a slight jogging. And I'll do maybe two of each exercise before jumping. Okay. Uh, and then Luke Parker wants to know if Triple Yamp always has been your favorite event. Um, no. In high school, I liked hurdles. I liked triple jump just because I was good at it, and I liked jumping, but I liked uh, the 400 hurdles the best. That was my favorite event. But now, yeah, triple jump is my favorite. It's so pretty. Okay, so we've come to the last question now. And and that is, who do you want to see as a guest in the Triple Jumpers podcast? All right. So, uh, have y'all have y'all spoke? Who have y'all spoke with? Because I think Don, y'all spoke with Donald, uh, Chris, Will, right? No, not Will yet. Okay. Um, if I could go, I mean, people hear Will all the time. And I like Will, but if I could pick anybody, um, I would I would pick Omar. Well, uh, gotta talk with because it's just his passion, his passion about sports, about about what he does, and his passion for people and motivating people, and he's also on the same wave. As me when it comes to improving the sport. Yeah, yeah. So if you could get Omar Kredas on there. Yeah, yeah. I I asked him and uh, he said he wanted to do it face to face. So uh, I will see when, when, whenever he's in Sweden or whenever I'm in U in the U.S. 
and try to fix it. Chris, thank you so much for taking part in the podcast. I think it will be a very great episode, and I loved your thoughts on how to improve the triple jump event, and it was uh, nice to hear your story. Uh, I wish you the very best of luck in in the future, and uh, first of all, now at the U.S. Championships coming up, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time and, and asking me those questions just so I can get it out there so people can hear it. Maybe, maybe we start something to get the sport going again. Because I got love for it. I know you do too. And I appreciate you having the triple jump page. Just always representing the triple jump. Really, really appreciate it. Wow, I love this episode. It was so inspiring and cool to hear Chris' thoughts on how to make uh, the sport of track and field better. Uh, imagine if we could get those leagues and get those teams. Uh, it would it would really take the sport to another level, I think. And it was also inspiring to hear how he prepares for the U.S. Championships. And I really hope he can get everything together there to jump really far. Uh, and if you want to suggest a guest or have any questions, you can either send an email to triplejumpers18 at gmail.com. You can fill in our contact form on the website or DM us on Instagram. We're soon back with another episode. Until then, have a good time. Bye. Tremendous speed once again. And he's, oh my goodness, that is huge. It's a white flag for the Cuban. Freddy Tango pour la postérité. Ah